the first thing that I always tell everybody, you need time. So don't sell your house. Don't book a flight. Don't say goodbye to your company and your relatives. You really do need that plan when you're coming to Australia to work. That's my number one point that I always tell our clients. Welcome to another episode in our series, Moving to Expat Land. This week, my guest is Amanda Tinner from the Visa Executive. Amanda started her immigration career at the Australian High Commission in London, where she worked in immigration for five years. She's been a researcher into a state parliament report on business migrants and represented the migration industry on a federal joint standing committee. And it's my pleasure to welcome Amanda to our podcast today. Welcome, Amanda. Thanks for joining us. John, thank you so very much for inviting me. I'm thrilled. And uh, where are you today, Amanda? At the moment, I'm at Phillip Island in Victoria, usually based in Melbourne. But since the pandemic started just on two years ago, we debunked from Melbourne and came down to the beach. I'm sure there's a lot of people who would love to swap the city for the beach. That's really cool. I'm scared to ask if you would like to go back to the city or you're really enjoying the beach. Well, you don't realise how busy the city is until you've been living at Phillip Island, (laughs) Um, where it's uh, quiet for the vast majority of the year. But I know that I'm going to have to get on a plane shortly and uh, start travelling around Australia. Please, why don't you tell us a little bit about your personal journey and how you got into the field you're in today? Goodness. Um, I started, as you quite rightly said at the beginning of the uh, podcast, I started working in London um, for the immigration department. So in 1990, I did the thing that most Australians did at that time, which was leave uni and go to the UK. I found a job working at an investment bank just as an admin person, a filing clerk, and I got the sack within my first week. Okay. So that was a bit of a disaster. (laughs) And I knew that I couldn't come back after only having been away, you know, shy on a month. That's filing, Amanda. You got the sack from a filing job. I know. (laughs) I did indeed. My first ever job. (laughs) I can assure everyone, Amanda is very, very capable and very talented. So this getting sacked from a filing job, no way reflects her (laughs) skills on our Melbourne E-team. Thank you. Within one week, my first ever job. So that was a bit of a disaster. I wasn't very good at filing. So I promptly burst into tears and uh, thought to myself, I can't go back to my parents after only having been overseas for just on a month. Yeah. So I thought to myself, where do most Australians go for a job? And so I promptly walked over to the Australian High Commission on the Strand and I thought that immigration sounded interesting. And that's how I got into into immigration. Wow. My first interview consisted of five minutes. Great story. And the boss of immigration at the time, with his feet on his desk, asked me if I could type. And I said, yes, that was my first ever lie. He said, did I have the ability to work in the UK? And I did because my mum is English. 
and uh, he said, when can you start? And I said, Monday morning. Yeah. And I got a 20-pound increase from the job I got the sack from. Mm-hmm. So I went from 100 pounds a week to 130. I thought it was the best job that I'd ever had. That's a great story. Maybe tell the listener a little bit about what led to Visa Executive, how you then got to there. After spending five years in the UK, I got pregnant. My husband and I came home. Then I got a job at the Victorian state government working on a migration program. Then I got a job working for a very large relocation, global relocation company. I ended up managing their Asia-Pacific migration practice. So I did that, then left there and started my own business, Visa Executive, just on 16 years ago. Wonderful. So that calculates to just over 30 years working in the Australian immigration space. Which I think is one of the reasons why you and the business would be such a wonderful resource for anyone thinking about coming to live and work in Australia. I am the owner of the business. I have another director, a co-director. We are an Australian-owned, we're a law firm. And all we practice is Australian immigration law. That might not sound a lot to a lot of people, but in Australian immigration space, we have just over 100 different visas from tourist visas right up to permanent residence. So it really is a job that you need to be dedicated at Mm -hmm. and understand the nuances of. So that's all we do. Amanda, 100 visas sounds like a lot. Which of the visas do you spend most of your time on? The vast majority of our time or the most popular visas for people to come to Australia are the business visas, so the people that are sponsored to come and work for a particular company in a particular job, and that's the subclass 482. That's our generic work visa that we have. We also help people, business people and companies apply for their business visitor visas. So the people that will perhaps come for a look-see before they take up a role or they're coming for business meetings, we manage those as well. We get involved in the occasional working holiday. So for young people under 30, we have a working holiday visa. We do the short-stay visas, they're called subclass 400, which is usually a three-month short-stay work visa. And then we take those all the way through to business migrants. So that's interesting. But if a foreign investor is looking to buy into an Australian business, could you maybe just touch on some of the minimum sort of requirements he or she might have to meet in order to get on that pathway? I think there are several categories of business migrant, but I think the main thing that people looking at a visa class of a business migrant is they need to show that they have a business background. So it's not for people who have may have come into money um, and then want to apply as a business migrant. We need to show how they came into the money and what their business background is. There's no interview. Many years ago, they used to interview for a lot of visa subclasses, but there's no interview for any visa. If we have a client that is called for an interview, then we go with them to the interview because that is generally not a very good sign. 
So they're all document-based. So when we're talking about business migration, we need to show the trail. We need to show what experience they have, how they've gained that experience, how their business has grown. And also on top of that, if they have a business plan, a lot of case officers in the immigration department like to see that the business migrant, what effort they have made to come to Australia and maybe look at buying into or starting their own business. What proportion of the work you do would be split between the executives and then the business type people that we've just been talking about? The executives, so the people that come with a job already, that would be a good probably 85 to 90% of our work. Yes. And then we have the business migrants, so the individual wealthy people with regards to buying into or setting up an Australian business would make up the remainder of the portion. Got it. And Amanda, some countries, which you're well aware, have high net worth programs. So you've got a lot of money and you want to move countries like, well, some countries in the European Union and other places have these sort of high net worth in, in visas. Does Australia have these sort of programs? We have, as far as business migration, so again, we get back to business migration. So that's an investor. But again, so they're the high net worth ones. But it's not, when we talk about investor, it's not like the US program where they have lotteries, for example. Right. So you might have a million dollars and they give you permanent residence. Australia doesn't have programs like that. Okay. So turning to some other issues of interest, some of your clients who've arrived in Melbourne, what's been some of the challenges you've noted they've had to adjust to? When they first arrive, I always tell everybody, you need time. So don't sell your house. (laughs) Don't book a flight. Don't say goodbye to your company and your relatives. You really do need that plan when you're coming to Australia to work. That's my number one point that I always tell our clients. And then having arrived, what are some of the pain points? The pain points are that they need to pay school fees, (laughs) 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 that they uh, don't have access to Medicare. So, you know, our national health insurance, they don't have access to that. Mm -hmm. So uh, for the vast majority of people, that means they need to pay their own health insurance, which for some US nationals can be a touchy point. Right. So what advice would you give to someone about just coming and adapting to the Australian lifestyle in Melbourne? If you've come from Northern Europe, and tell us a bit about life in Melbourne in general and and what Aussies are like. Life in Melbourne is very different to life in Brisbane and Sydney and Perth. (laughs) Although we're one country, our city cultures are all very different. Mm -hmm. In the beautiful city of Sydney, for example, to get people into the city to go out for dinner or to go and see theatre or a movie is not that common. It's very hard to do that. In Whereas with regards to Melbourne, we just had the F1 on the weekend and uh, we had the biggest crowd ever. So as they say, a lot of Melburnians will go to the opening of an envelope. As long as, you know, they're going to have a good time, they'll be there. <laughs> so although we're only an hour's flight away, uh, that's good. even from a business perspective, our cultures are very different. I've been travelling to Sydney for nigh on at least a good 15 to 20 years 
um, mostly on a monthly basis. And the business culture in Melbourne and Sydney are very different from the way they talk about business to the way you get contracts with companies and to their demands as well. Earlier on, you gave a couple of tips about allowing things to take time. Are there any other tips you have to think to mention for anyone who's planning a move to Melbourne, anything they should make sure they, they think about before they arrive? Yes. Um, several tips I have besides the big time factor. I think that they also need to understand that Australian immigration rules do change. Yeah. We have a lot of people who look at coming to Australia with the vision of getting permanent residence, of staying and then becoming citizens. And then when the rules change while they're in Australia, they become very upset and distressed. So they really do need to think about a plan and manage their own expectations as well. So they might be looking at permanent residence, but if the rules change, they might no longer meet the criteria. So when should somebody think about getting in touch with your business? In the ideal world, we'd like to look at a good six months. A lot of our time is spent on talking to people at the very beginning. And so actually understanding their plan for what they're looking at doing. And a lot of our time is spent planning with people, getting that talk moving, understanding what they're looking at doing. If they have children, how old are their children? Because there's a cutoff age for children dependents, for example, right. which is 23. So that can throw a lot of plans for permanent residence out the window if an expat's child is 22, for example. Yes. So that's the type of planning that we need to understand. And, you know, in my job, I've had some very wonderful moments, but I've had some very sad moments as well. I can imagine. Where I've had to tell expats, yes, you'll meet the criteria, but your child who's now 23 won't. We can't include them in the application and they're going to have to find their own pathway, which for a lot of 23-year-olds is nigh on impossible. So, Amanda, please tell us a little bit about how the Melbourne and Sydney E-teams work together. The reason that I joined and loved and continue to be a member of Expatland is because of the collegiate approach. All of our teams work very well together. We all work for the common good. And I don't mean to sound naff, I guess, <laughs> to use a common term about that. But there really is a, you know, I have a client that needs your services. Let me introduce you to them. Knowing that the person that you've just introduced your client to is going to be in good hands. So it's that approach that the teams have that is a wonderful thing about expat land. I've spoken to expat land team members in South Africa, Canada and London as well to let them know that we have clients that need their help. So that's the way that we work together. That's good to hear. We are spending a lot of time building e-teams in key cities around the world and the fact that you've spoken to three or four e-teams shows that there's this specialist connectivity that's emerging Look, I think you've given some really wonderful um, insights to the visa process. Perhaps you can tell us what Amanda Tinner does away from work when she's not pouring her heart and soul into helping clients get into (laughs) Australia. 
Oh, that's true. Well, I love the beach. We're fortunate enough to have a boat, so we, I love the water. I'm a Pisces. I'm a March baby, so anything to do with the water, I love. Many years ago, I even used to surf, but I'm too old and my knees are too sore to do that anymore. Um, so I gave that up quite a few years ago. I love going out and listening to live music. As I've got older, I'm doing that more and more. And I'm in the very fortunate position that I have a ticket to see Robbie Williams when he comes out in May at uh, Rod Laver Arena. So that's very exciting, John. That sounds great. Well, for anyone that actually wants to move to Phillip Island, is there another set of visa requirements to get onto Phillip Island? No, there isn't. <laughs> Sounding pretty good down there. No, there isn't. We have one bridge that you need to drive over to get on and get off, and that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Well, for anyone who does actually decide they want to go and live in Phillip Island, I suggest, you know, you check in with Amanda first. Sounds like she knows the best places on the island. I still haven't been there, but look, it's been great speaking with you. We look forward to uh, you working with Expat Land for many more years. And thank you for your support. A wonderful episode of Moving to Expat Land, The Journey to Melbourne. So thank you very much, Amanda, for your uh, help today. Thank you, John. It's, it's just been lovely and all the best for your tour 